0: Good morning, let me add uh, my welcome to those that you've had already, and uh, let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Father, we do want to uh, ask for your help now as we come to your words. Father, the Spirit who authored these w- words, please would he be at work in our hearts now, in our minds, help us to understand your words, but, but more than that, please would you help us to put them into practice too. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, the last couple of years have been quite something, haven't they? Been Quite something for everyone. They've been quite something for us as a church here at Lionsdown. And we've got to navigate lockdown, getting everything online and everyone online. We've left a denomination, we've left a building, you've got a new pastor-teacher... And we look forward with some uncertainty, don't we? You know, we're navigating now through what we hope and pray will be the back end of COVID. It, it may not. Are we starting our search um, for a, a long term home for us so that we can carry on our work of reaching New Barnet and the surrounding areas with the gospel? We have all the just general potential troubles and difficulties that, that any churches face. How is it that we, Lions Down, can stand firm how can we stand firm how can we not be moved from our commitment to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and our unity together the Philippian church they were facing problems of their own their their spiritual father their founder Paul was in prison facing trial potentially for his life They were starting to experience some opposition themselves and there was the threat of false teachers either there or coming. And Paul calls for them in verse 1, Therefore my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, we see his utter love for them, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloveds. Paul cares for them so deeply, it's so clear in his language there, and he calls them to stand firm. It's that military word that we saw back in chapter 1, verse 27. It's this idea of, you know, plant the shields in the sand together, don't be moved, hold the line. And that's what he calls them to do. That's what he calls us to do. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what to do with verse 1 You might notice if you remember We actually kind of had verse 1 in last week's passage as well But this week I was actually persuaded by something I read That I think verse 1 really belongs with what's coming And it's all because of that little word thus That's a strange small little word isn't it But stand firm thus in the Lord I think that is pointing forward So what he's saying is stand firm like this Stand firm like this This is how you stand firm Paul takes all that he's kind of taught them in uh, the book so far and he appeals to them uh, and all that he has appealed to them. And now he gets practical. He says, Look, what, what these things look like in your lives, Philippian church. And that if you, Philippian church, do these things, you will stand firm. And if we, lions, do these things, we too will stand firm if you're here in the building you've got your, your talk notes there you'll see I've put six things the passage has six things you'll see they have different lengths we're not going to spend the same amount of time on all of them I could have kind of tried to draw something together but I think we, we would have lost some of the punch so six things that if we do, Lions Church will mean that we stand firm let's look at them the first one is think the same way here are our six and here's the first one think the same way Perhaps the number one danger that the Philippians were facing was the problem of disunity. There had been some public falling out between two women in the church. And here Paul names them, but his intention is not to shame them. His intention is to draw out this trouble between these two ladies out into the open so that they can be dealt with. But this disagreement, it, it must have been something pretty serious. Because you remember, there were no emails, texts, whatsapps or whatever. So the fact that Paul knew about this trouble and it was still going on, this, this has been a long-running problem. And in very passionate but gentle terms, Paul calls them to end their personal problems. Have a look down at verse 2. I entreat Euodia, I entreat to Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Now look, sometimes disagreements are necessary. Paul has shown that already, just back in chapter 3, verse 2, when he calls. He says, look look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. If it's a matter of core teaching of the gospel, then disagreement is absolutely necessary. But that's not what is happening here. If that were the case, we'd expect Paul to say something like, look, you odier, it is clear Syntyche is clearly right, okay? You need to change your mind. What she says is correct, but it, Paul doesn't do that. It's likely some kind of personal issue between the two. And Paul is not saying, as we perhaps often might, well, agree to disagree, just, just agree to disagree. Now, maybe, in a sense... That might be something that comes further down the line. But did you see in verse 2 Paul's solution isn't agree to disagree, it is agree in the Lord's. Agree in the Lord's. Now, I really like the ESV translation, the one that we use here at church, but I do not for the life of me understand why they've translated it there as agree in the Lord's. This is the phrase that we've seen time and time again through the book of Philippians, where they've translated it have the same mind. And I was saying, actually, probably better, it's think this way. And it's the same thing here. I urge you, think the same way in the Lord. And we remember from chapter 2, verse 2, and chapter 2, verse uh, 6, we are to think like Jesus. As a church family, we are to think the same way, having the same mindset of Jesus. And Paul is saying to them, look, you two, you're both Christians. You, you were both in the Lord, and you... You fundamentally hold to the same things. And you see um, down in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, it says, look, they along with these other fellow workers, are um, their names are written in the book of life. They've been chosen by God. These are genuine brothers or sisters. And he says, look, be united in your thinking. Think the same way. But disagreements like this, they are a fact of life. They are a fact of church life. Unfortunately, sadly, they do happen. And I think that's partly what it is due to teach us, because these two weren't just people way on the fringes of church life. Have a look at, again, at verse 3. Um, yes, I urge you, true companion, we're not sure who that is, possibly Luke, but we're not sure. I urge you, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel. That phrase, again, we we remember from um, chapter 1, verse 27. Side by side, they have been central to church's ministry. they have been with Paul there, helping them. Do you remember we we kind of used the, the illustration of the shield wall, but we also, back then, we used this, they're in the rugby scrum together, side by side, pushing, working for the same goal. These are two key central people in church life. Perhaps vineyard table leaders... To put it in our kind of situation, disagreements, conflicts, breakdown in relationships, unfortunately, do happen in church. But they should be dealt with and not left to fester. Hence, Paul trying to bring them out. And at times, it might be appropriate to have older, mature Christians come to help that process. Hence, Paul encouraging Clement and the other, the, his true companion and the others to, to help and step in there. Ultimately, though, it is thinking the same way, thinking like Jesus, that is going to bring unity. That's the solution. When we are thinking like Jesus, past hurts can be forgiven. When we are thinking like Jesus, current differences are are minimised. They fall into place, and we see actually, in the context of things, they're not that significant. We think like Jesus, proper focus is maintained. and we agree on the main things, everything else falls into place. Number one thing to stand firm is to stay united, to stay thinking like Jesus. Stand firm, think the same way. Secondly, stand firm, rejoice always. Uh, see, another thing with the Bible translators and commentators, um, kind of by and large, are never qu- quite sure what to do with passages like the one we have today that have a whole series of commands. Some people kind of just want to separate them out, and some people want to try and bracket them together, and, and they, so they make decisions on sentence breaks and paragraph breaks. Well, I think there's probably a, somewhere in between these things because in, in these things we see six challenges, six calls. And they are, in one sense, standalone, but they also, I do think, connected. So have a look at verse four, and we'll see if we can see the connection to what's come before. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And it's that rejoice in the Lord always, at all times. And I will say it again, in case you just missed it, and I want to catch it again. Rejoice in the Lord. But do we see here the connection to perhaps what's come before? Because when people are rejoicing in the Lord, when the Lord, Jesus, is the thing that is most precious and central to them, do you see how other differences again are smoothed out and and fall back into their place? And equally, when we are rejoicing in the Lord, when we are treasuring and delighting in him, that is a great deflector away from ourselves. And so here, yes, in one sense it is a standalone We are called to rejoice in the Lord always, but at the same time it is, cool to, um, it is linked with this other idea. When we are rejoicing in the Lord, he's going to keep us united. Rejoicing, it's been this huge theme of the book of Philippians. And here Paul puts it in his most emphatic time. Always, any and every situation easy or hard, plentiful or want, in every time rejoice in the Lord. To find our greatest joy and happiness and delight and treasure in Jesus rather than anything that this world has to offer. And all that we have seen of Jesus through this book, you can see why. Our wonderful, wonderful Saviour, who left his place in glory, in humility came to earth, humbled himself even to death, even death on a cross, dying in the place of his people, is risen again and is ascended to heaven and we're waiting for him to come back to transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. What a wonderful saviour. And we see why it is right that we find our treasure, our joy in him. In the Lord there is enough cause for joy to sustain us even through the worst of circumstances. Now, that first song that we sung uh, this morning um, we saw one, one of the verses there saying, "Look, for those whose joy is in the morning sun and those who have been weeping through the night good or bad, rejoice, rejoice a church that is rejoicing is going to be a church that stands firm, because we wouldn't move on from Jesus, why would we? Thirdly uh, be um, be known for your gentleness now if I was, I'm kind of sorry I was, meant, I was going to ask this question before I put that slide up if I was going to ask you the question what would you like to be known for I wonder how you'd answer that what would you like to be known for I might, there'd be all kinds of different responses um, in this room I, I'd like to be known as a, uh, a hard worker I'd like to be known as a successful businessman I'd like to be known as a good parent in church life I'd like to be known as A uh, faithful prayer I'd like to be known as a good friend but Whatever it might be I wonder what you, how you'd answer that One thing I imagine That I wouldn't hear Even one of us say Is I'd like to be known for my gentleness Or uh, As it's translated here Your reasonableness Have a look down at verse 5 Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness is forbearance or meekness or gentleness. Elsewhere in the the New Testament, it's it's found as the opposite of being violent. It's the opposite of quarrelling. It's the opposite of being unjust. Gentleness, I think, is a helpful way of thinking about it. And Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all. I'm also told that, I couldn't find a good bidder, but I'm also told that um, it, it's, the, it's the word that would have been used of, of a king. You know, some kings, and you can probably think of in fictional films, TV programs, whatever, you know, some kings are so insecure of their position in themselves that they respond by being ultra-aggressive and authoritarian and powerful, because I'm going to show you how powerful I am, because really I'm not. I'm going to show you how powerful I am So you respect me But also you might think of some examples Of of kings who are so secure in their position And comfortable with themselves That actually they use their power To help others You get an audience with a king And they're going to receive justice And help where possible And that's the word that is being used, gentleness, of of having the position but but being kind and gentle and forbearing with others rather than using position uh, to dominate. And again I think there is in a sense that this is a standalone command, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Everyone, those in the church and those outside, let your gentleness be known, that's how we're to be known. But again we can see that connection can't we? If gentleness were to be the chief characteristic of us, then again, tr- disagreements, troubles, personal difficulties, actually are going to fall away because of gentleness. Be known for your gentleness, and you see that the motivation again. I think this does belong with, with this part here in verse five. Um, I'm looking at the wrong book there, verse 5, let your reasonableness, gentleness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Now that could mean one of two things. It could mean the Lord is at hand in the sense of Jesus coming back. And we find that in chapter 3, verse 20, we're waiting for our Saviour to return. Or it could mean that the Lord is at hand, Jesus, he is near, he is present with his people by his spirit. And, and both of those things are true. And in one sense, I don't know. In one sense, I don't think it really matters. I think the point being made is this. What have we seen of Jesus? What did we see was, in a sense, his, his heart, his, his, how did he think, what was his mindset? Well, in chapter 2, we saw he was humble and selfless. Jesus was humble, humble and selfless. And if Jesus is here, as it were, with us, which he is by his spirit, how can we be violent and aggressive? and domineering when Jesus is here with us or if Jesus is coming back soon do we want to be found to be aggressive and violent and domineering no, we want to be gentle like Jesus was ultimately gentle a gentle church is a church that stays united and will stand firm Fourth thing that's going to keep us, uh, un- uh, keep us united is we're going to keep us standing firm. Don't worry, pray. The Philippians had lots of reason to be anxious. As we said, Paul is in prison facing uh, death. They've got opposition and trouble and more is on the horizon. And then they're just all the things in life that can make us anxious. But see what Paul says to them in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. To be anxious is that it, internal struggle of being kind of feeling of being strangled or torn apart. And Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. I mean, to be clear, Paul is talking not about um, anxiety disorders. Okay, if that is something that you are struggling with, then I would very much encourage you to seek medical help. That is good and right. Paul here is talking about just the normal anxieties of life, as it were. But equally, if you are struggling with those things, I'm sure this will help in some degree. And Paul is speaking of those worries that, that individuals and churches go through from day to day. But to worry, to be anxious is ultimately to not trust that God is in charge. See, when we worry about what school, school our child is going to go to, when you worry about that presentation at work and how it's going to get on, when I worry about uh, that health scare, whatever those things are, ultimately, it is a sign of not trusting that God is in control. And so, what do we do when anxious? Now, unfortunately, oftentimes, we can get it wrong in one of two ways. We don't, number one, is we don't deal with it and we kind of get consumed and we we let it um, get its hold into us and spiral and get worse and worse and worse. That's one way that we can not deal with it. But the other way of not dealing with it is to suppress it. I will not worry to avoid it to escape from it to to seek uh, shelter in in whatever, food sex, shopping, anything just set anything away from that or this kind of false trust in God which is more akin to a kind of fatalism it'll all be fine, it'll all work out now what is the solution to being anxious let's carry on in verse 6 do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, see that. So, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication—that's kind of requests, prayer and requests—with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You see, praying is the ultimate expression of trusting in God. If, if worry is a sign of not trusting in God, well, praying is a sign that we do. It is an expression of trust and it is a great reminder for ourselves. Because actually when I sit down and pray and I, I, all my anxieties, I lay them out before God. I'm saying, Lord, look, you are the one who can help. And so I'm coming to you. And did you spot that also Get Thanks with thanksgiving? Particularly when, we're, when things are a struggle, when things are going difficult, more difficultly. It is sometimes easy just to get, again, kind of get consumed by all the bad, the negative. It's actually forcing ourselves to remind ourselves of thanksgiving, all the things that we have to thank God for. is honouring to God, and again, it is a great reminder for us and gives us confidence in praying. And then look at just the incredible results. Okay, don't be anxious, but in everything pray, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What incredible words, the peace of God. Now one says all Christians have experienced and do experience peace. Objectively we have peace with God because Jesus has died for his people's sins and rose again for life and he's reconciled us to God. We have peace with God. Objectively that is true of Christians. What we find here is this more subjective feeling of peace that, um, that God brings and you see guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When I'm anxious and then yet when I pray and then we have this great promise that God and the, um, the God of peace will give us peace to guard us. And do you notice that that surpasses all understanding? It can't be explained and it can't be explained away. But it is clear if you are worried, pray. And when Paul says that, he, he means really pray, right? He doesn't just mean, Lord, ah, this is really bad, I don't know what to do. Please help Amen. No, pray. Pray for more than a minute. Pour out your heart. And I think that's part of the reason this kind of overloading of words that he that we find in here. Um again but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests pray and often i know this myself you know when, when troubles come up I I, I I think i do pray often i pray and i pray early and i pray first but it's lord help thank you amen and then what i'm really mean is now i'm going to go and fix the problem i'm going to find the solution no pray Somebody in over coffee shares problem with them a problem with you. Oh yeah well, what can I think that would help them? What could I do that would help them? Both good things to do. but pray. pray, pray, pray. For anxious, we had to pray and we pray God will guard our hearts and minds uh, in Christ Jesus. And again, do you see how wor- worrying anxieties, are going to be things that might pull us away from following and sticking close with Jesus. And praying, it means we're going to stand firm. Fifthly, ponder good things. These are famous words and wonderful words, aren't they? Verse 8, finally brothers, another finally remember this finally kind of means what's there left to say this is the this is it finally my brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there if there is any excellence excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about such things you know, these words are often found on uh, kind of Christian calendars or notepads, aren't they? And we kind of think, oh, to, to think of all these things is to think of beautiful sunsets and nice flowers and probably little kittens. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's quite the right place for these words. No, uh, do you see here? Paul says at the end, think on these things, ponder these things. And um, it, it's, it's the, the word is, is where we get our English words for kind of logic. So it, it kind of carries a sense of look, really wrestle, carefully think about these things, come to a settled decision, prize them as valuable, ponder these things. And I don't think these things are n- sunsets and kittens and, and flowers. Ultimately, these eight wonderful things find their expression ultimately in Jesus. And to think on such things is going to be to meditate on him, our glorious saviour. But I think it is also uh, more than that too. Whatever, brothers, whatever is funny, brothers, whatever is true. And again, ultimately, what is truth? Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The scriptures are true. Think about these things honourable, I think it's, some of these things it's easier to think of the opposite um, before we can kind of think of the right thing and so just think sometimes with our thought lives, you know it's easy to indulge if that's the right words You know, just to think about that meeting that you just had with your boss and think about all the witty, sharp cutting things you should have said that's not thinking about these things or to be kind of letting our minds wander, thinking, "Ah, all, all these things, if, if I won the lottery, all that I would do. Well, that's not thinking about these things. What are we to think about? We think about what is honourable, whatever is, is good and upright, whatever is just, whatever is pure, clean, holy, whatever is lovely, spiritually speaking whatever is commendable, worthy of of commendation from God, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, think about those things. And I'll come back to this in a second, but but see, I want us to come to the the next point now. Finally, do these things, because I have disconnected them, but these two very much go together. Do you see how um, verse 8 finishes? Think about these things. Now see verse 9. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Same words, or similar words, but it's practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul says that practice these things, do them. And what does he say? He says, look, do these things that I have laid down for you, that I've, um, the pattern that I have set from you. Things that you've received from me, that heard from me, and seen in me. And so I think this is another example of Paul holding up examples. These things in verse 8 that we're to think on, I think we're meant to see the connection with the things that we're to be doing in verse 9. And so Paul was calling the Philippians to think on the life that Paul had lived, and the model, and the example that he had lived. And in Paul's life. They were to think about those things that were honourable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. You know, it is right that we think about the great example that we set of people in the church family of, you know, who don't respond in aggression but rather are, um, are honourable, or rather are just. It is good to think of those who are faithfully seeking to live for Jesus. Think on those things... And it's ultimately as we think on these things that we will then do these things too, living them out. Something that Amy and I have done from time to time, uh, and I want to bring up again, is, is at the end of a Sunday, is just to spend a few minutes together and say, Look, what's the one thing that we heard from God's word today that we want to live with through this week? What's the one thing we want to put into practice and pray for each other? Uh, I say, I want to bring that back. I want to suggest that might be a good thing for you to do by yourself or with your spouse or a friend or whatever. What's the one thing? Because God's word is to be done. Not just heard, not just even just thought about, but done to. And again, do you notice the promise, uh, the, the connection between the practicing and the promising? We do these things, and then at the end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. Six big commands, six big calls from Paul to the Philippians, from Paul to us. Six things that actually, if we do as a church family, will keep us standing firm in the gospel, in our faith. So that whatever comes in the following years, these things are established in us. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask again for your help as i did at the beginning lord please if there's one particular thing would you that you've brought to attention in our lives please would you help us to put it into practice please father would all these things characterize us as a church and therefore that we would be standing firm please work in us all in jesus name amen